Excuse me, can I please talk to you for a minute? Uh-huh, sure. You know, you look kind of familiar. Yeah, you do too. I just wanted to know, do you know a podcast named The Podcast Is Mine? Oh, I know that podcast. I just wanted to let you know that it's mine. No, no, it's mine. Hello and welcome to The Podcast Is Mine. I'm Sunny Gruel. And I'm Bhushan Kumar. We're back, Bhushan. We are back indeed. And we have got such an interesting episode today, haven't we? We have, we have. Isn't it interesting how when we were researching and preparing for this, mm. the kind of stuff that came up for us. Did you find this? Like sometimes we do these episodes. Yeah, yeah. Like we were talking about this the other day off air, weren't we? Yeah. That we do episodes and things and like all these memories and feelings and thoughts that kind of you know, we Where are you going with this? <laughs> no, no, I mean, like, in the sense oh, really? that, like, yeah. you know, like, there's yeah, memories yeah. and stuff that were a long time ago, like, I've forgotten yeah. completely about, and then, like, they came back kind of out of nowhere, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I didn't realise how yeah. much that had affected me, or it's I true. didn't realise, like, you know, um, how it felt. I mean, do you find that as well? Yeah, no, it's a good point. I, I, I'm remembering back to one of the stories that kind of prompted us to talk about this, isn't it, in terms of me being in the Wolverhampton Mac counter yes. at my school. Absolutely. Well, we've got, it's a companion episode oh. to um, episode seven, series one, which was Coconut Express. Yes. But also, if you cast your mind back to episode two of this season, which was the Writings on the Wall by yeah. Destiny's Child. Oh, we have a link. Do you remember? We have a link. We have, we a, have link. a link. So, um, do you remember in the Secret Diary of a Zone One Ho, mm. we briefly mentioned the Harry and Meghan interview. <gasps> so, earlier in 2021, Oprah interviewed Harry and Meghan. <laughs> And it was quite, it was quite the bombshell. And it like, was epic. There's quite a lot to talk about it. We've got and, a lot to unpack. And we are going to cover it in the OnlyFans lounge as well. Yes. But related to today's subject, there's a specific mm. point I really want to get to. So let's open up the Diary of a Zone one Okay, home. let me open up a new tab. Bloop, bloop. Yep. And okay, so the point I really wanted to focus on today. So in that interview, Megan spoke about how Harry had um, told her that a member of the royal family, we still don't know who it was, mm had been speculating about um, the colour of the baby, the unborn baby's skin. Now, taking away from the semantics of it, like, mm. we, like I said, in the OnlyFans lounge, we can cover that and we can look into whys and wherefores. That particular comment really, really angered me yeah. and saddened me as well, but it didn't shock me because in the South Asian community, that is something that we have heard mm. so many times. We've like heard, oh, what colour is the baby or what colour is this person? And it was just really, really disappointing for like several reasons, which I want to get off my chest right now. So please do pull a pew up because (laughs) (laughs) I got a list. Um, First of all, it was kind of like how the royal family is so institutionally racist because there's no like kind of manoeuvre room in a comment like that. You're only saying a comment like that to suggest that if the baby's going to be one colour, it would be advantageous and any other colour is supposedly disadvantageous, you know, not Mm -hmm. advantageous or it's creating that sense of other, which is really not very nice and really mm. unpleasant. I mean, I don't, I doubt William and Kate got, you know, speculation on whether the, what colour their children, what yes. skin tone their children would have. And then second of all, I was thinking as well, in terms of like childbirth and like pregnancy is one of the most dangerous things ever. Like I didn't realise this until my friends started having babies and they started telling me mm. their stories. And I was like, oh my God, having a baby is like terrifying. Like not just the actual labour, but the whole pregnancy... So can you imagine hearing that when you're in that kind of vulnerable state? What I'd like, what that must have done for Megan's mental health. I can only that must you know I can't imagine how she survived that. It just shows like she has a lot of grit and you know determination. I, I really really felt for her, and also like I just thought it was just such a it just it's the whole institutional race. You know you think that 
institutions have really moved on and you know they post a black square on instagram and they'll put hashtag blm and all these things but actually in the real in reality they don't seem to have moved on at all i mean do you do you agree do you what do you think yeah no it is it was really disappointing to hear that statement and i really wish they had kind of been a bit more forthright about who had said it and challenged it because i think we're only going to make progress if we hold people accountable and it's not a case of wanting to cancel someone it's a case of wanting people to take responsibility helping them become educated on why it's hurtful and offensive and then coming together with those people to say look this is how we move forward in a positive way and making people feel safe to admit that their mistakes are being made obviously with the royal family they probably do not want to admit that they're in the wrong mm-hmm. and it would be you know it's a, it's going to be a huge change and i think generally generationally they're probably accepting that whoever said it is probably not going to change their mindset so let's not try to fix something that we can't fix yeah and let's just move forward and but then to kind of half share that information it felt a little bit disappointing i thought there's no real solution to this it's just unfortunately it's kind of, kind of um, it's just triggering and it's upsetting yeah. and disappointing and the same way you said that it's not something that you're you know new to i completely feel the same way like growing up having to you know understand that in the asian community that there is not only a caste system but then there's also another system of hierarchy around the shade of your skin which i realized as i got older that it's another thing that you the black people experience as well in their communities it's something that i've heard quite regularly you know in the pop industry as well in the music industry when you talk about oh beyonce is always put in the middle the the lighter female is always shown in the center um, stage mm-hmm. so it, it just made me think oh it's not just my community that faces this it's other communities and it just it's almost you accept it to a point but then when you think about the fact that there are really painful impacts of this that's like in this situation you think we need to stand up to this and we need to take some action absolutely and i could not agree with you more and i think what um an important point is that the royal family are so influential like there are people who you know kind of have them kind of beyonce tier like you know they respect (laughs) them and do every but the thing is that um if they had done what you'd said or found a way to kind of convey that you know, like you said, there was no kind of resolution or there was no sort of kind of pro- progression from that. If they had shown that, can you imagine the impact that would have had on wider society? Mm. Because it's like, well, look, if the royal family can, you know, think about things differently and change their viewpoint, then why can't Joe Bloggs, who lives down the street or, you know, whoever is perpetuating colorism? So, yeah, it was it was really, really disappointing. And like, like we said, we will come back to that interview later on. But I think what we're going to do is we're going to close the tab because we've got so much to talk there about today. So let's take it to the bridge. The definition of colorism in the Oxford English Dictionary is as follows. A prejudice or discrimination against individuals with a dark skin tone, typically among people of the same ethnic or racial group. Growing up as British Asian, colorism has very much been a continuing thread throughout our life. It has taken a good portion of our adult lives so far to unlearn the prejudices and unconscious biases we picked up in childhood. Today's episode is based on our own experiences and research. Our intention is simply to discuss a subject that is so covert in nature, yet so explicit in its effect. So true, absolutely. So, Bushan, I wanted to start with a question for you. Yeah. How has colorism personally affected you? 
So it's been it was really strange because like obviously referring back to episode seven, the Coconut Express, where like this was where you know when you first mentioned colorism like on our podcast, and then like when we were doing the research and we were kind of like you know talking about what we were going to discuss today, um, it was really strange that I didn't realize that there's been a continuing thread of colorism throughout my life. So um, I'm light skinned and my skin tone is perhaps you know I, it's, it's cool tones you would say in makeup terms and stuff. So it's on the lighter end of the, you know, not the spectrum, yeah, spectrum, yeah. yeah, so to speak. Um, and so it was funny because one of the things that came up in my mind was like, I've always heard this phrase, white like Bushan. So the first time I ever heard that was um, my mum and her friend were kind of, uh, I think I was, I must have been about like four or five or something, very, very young. And I remember they were talking, my mum's friend had gone to um, an Asian wedding and they were talking about like the groom and the bride and they were like, um, oh, what, and my mum was like, oh, what did the bride look like? And, you know, the um, my mum's friend was like, oh, yeah, she was really pretty and she was really, like, you know, fair. She was really gory, which means, like, fair-skinned or light-skinned or white. She was white like Bushan. And then that was something that I continually heard, like, whenever we would go to any sort of Asian event. Um, I remember once there was an uncle that said, um, oh, whenever we see a little white boy running around, we know that the Kumars are there. Mm. And then that was obviously referring to me. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a while for the penny to click. I was like, a little white boy? I was like, there's no white boy. I like, you know, oh. it was just all... So, and then, um, again, in secondary school as well, where the majority of the ethnic population there was uh, Bangladeshi and black, Again, um, I remember once there was a girl, we were talking about somebody else who had started in another form class. And uh, we were talking about skin tone, strangely. I have no idea how we got to that point. And again, um, there was a black girl who said, um, oh, no, no, he's white like Bushan. And it was like, wow. And I didn't understand what that meant. But at the same time, I was always told, like, you know, um, like my mum was always like, don't go and play in the sun or eat yogurt, (laughs) which was like a really bizarre Mm. one. Or, you know, and I was always, t- like, people always meant, in the South Asian community, always mentioned my skin tone. It's always like, oh, you're fair-skinned, everything suits you, what you wear. Or, you're fair-skinned, it's all right for you. Or, And then I started to believe as well that fair skin was some sort of advantage or that it gave me some sort of superpower that nobody else had. It was like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'd be walking in there, it was like, well, I've got fair skin, so, you know, don't come at me, hose. But it was like, actually, it, 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 was, it was weird as well because it also gave me a sense of otherness as well. So when I was in a like South Asian environment, predominantly South Asian, I always didn't feel that I fitted in or belonged. And then as a result, like in my teenage years, I was like, you know, really, uh, first I really got into religion because I thought, well, I need to show that I, because a lot of people would also say to me, you don't look Indian. And now I realise what a stupid statement that is, because if you go to anywhere in the subcontinent, you will realise that no one looks how you expect them to look. There's not like a look. Everyone you know, it, does, it doesn't just mean a certain set of characteristics. And there's a lot more to it. Um, and also, like, I remember we, once we uh, went, to, when we went to India in 2010, and uh, we were in New Delhi, and we were looking, like, at that time we were thinking of, like, buying maybe a flat in Delhi or something. And I remember the landlord took us to this, to show us the flat, and there was, like, a Nepali family who lived there. And uh, I remember when I saw them, they were so fair-skinned. Like, I've never seen, they like, they you know, I would not have place them there mm. which is like a bias that i had learned mm. and you know a way that i've been conditioned to think but that moment really kind of changed my mind because i was like oh my goodness like you know that it made me realize the country is so huge and the like skin t- you know you can't just say that oh well all the fair-skinned people are from here and all the dark-skinned people are from here it doesn't work like that 
Um, so that was really, really strange. And then like, I, so I really kind of like went into religion and kind of thought, well, I need to prove that I'm very Indian. So I'd kind of like, you know, learn about my religion. I learned about cultural practices and I, and the good, the upshot of that was that I was able to then explain that to others. So people would ask me, why are you fasting? Or what is Navratri or what is this or what is that? And I'd be able to explain, well, look, this is equivalent to an equinox or this is a, kind of um you know a fast for the body soul and uh mind and it was really it was i was able to articulate a lot of things which i didn't even realize i was doing because i was my aim was like to show look i'm very indian i'm very indian and i could also speak hindi and punjabi really fluently mm-hmm. and like my brothers couldn't do that and in our kind of like south asian like circles as well a lot of the kids had like you know very english accented punjabi and hindi whereas i used to come in there like a kind of vocal coach kind of like you know working the hindi and just kind of like you know coming out with the tones and stuff um but then when it really hit me was like um in uh when i went to sixth form i went from like an inner city comprehensive school to a very posh catholic school and then in that Catholic school, the majority of people, it was 90% white. So they had a 10% quota for no other mm. like mm. non-Catholic um, mm. uh, persons. And obviously, and, and 5% of that was Protestant. <laughs> so oh, it's very wow. similar to like, you know, because we had to go to read the Angelus at 12 o'clock. We had to do prayers in assembly in the morning. We Same. had to go to Michael Mass. We had to go to all the different masses that we had to talk with, you know, and it was, it was, it was great for me because then I was like that kind of reassert, you know, because I had learned about Hinduism and I was able to articulate what I was doing. That was actually useful for me. But what the funny thing was that was that because it was 90% white, I was like, well, look, I've always been in environments where it's always like you're white or white like Bhushan because white like Bhushan also came to mean behaving like, a white person mm. you know not that there's one you know kind of persona or something but i was always associated you know oh you talk posh or you read books all the time Asian, not stere- in their yeah. mind exactly i didn't have the adidas logo in my eyebrows so therefore i was <laughs> white like you know it's like excuse me no like i have no idea to this day that still gives me flash horrible flashbacks when i used to remember going to like south or something and seeing someone with the nike sign in blazing oh, in the back oh my shaved God, into that. So lame. do you see how much like comes up out of like kind of uh, recanting the memories and stuff but when I went to the school, I was like, well, look, listen, I'm fair skinned, so I should fit right in. And surprise, surprise, I didn't because it was, it was more than that. Like eventually I became, you know, I was, of course I ruled and <laughs> I was like gossip girl and like, you know, I ruled everything, but um, it took a lot of time. It was really hard, especially at 16, because it was like, I didn't have the knowledge or the language or the resources to kind of say what is going on here. Like if I, as an adult now, if I did that, I would be able to articulate, you know, going into like a, a lot of the times as well, like after that as well, I was able to like, you know, at university, for example, there was only a handful of Asian people, mm-hmm. South Asian people. And when I went and spoke to them, they were like, you know, white like Bhushan. <laughs> they would be like really posh. They'd be like, yeah. oh, my parents are from India, Pakistan, <laughs> but I was born in Bradford or I was Bradford. born in Manchester or I was born in Chelsea. And it's like, well, good for you. But, you know, you still have that's still your cultural heritage. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying to you that you have to come in like me with a big dick on your forehead, <laughs> like, you know, your hands <laughs> together. But 
at least acknowledge it and then like even when in the world of work as well i found that like when i would go in as well and people you know was hearing oh you don't look indian you're very light skinned and it, it became a constant theme so i think for me it was really um and that when i hit the world of work that's when it when i realized actually do you know what this skin thing like there there is a term for it and i kind of came to you know i kind of came to understood what it was but um it took a long time to get there and it, i think it really did like have a, a mental impact on me because like i said i always felt like i didn't belong anywhere and that was that was difficult especially as a teenager like i mean and, and i think so many people it's going to resonate with everybody everyone has always at some stage or another felt other or felt that they don't belong to the majority so sunny how about yourself so we've heard about mac wolverhampton oh god <laughs> but just remind our listeners oh, of the story god. just in case they've forgotten yeah so i need to i do need to remind myself so i was at school we were I, it must have been oh, i can't remember how old maybe six seven i, I don't know what my earliest memory so america's are. next model season exactly four. the first <laughs> time i was no but that means i would be really old <laughs> and then um yeah, so I remember being at school and we were doing like a, a class painting and I remember painting myself and I, I can't remember what colour I picked. Mm-hmm. And But the teacher ended up calling me back by myself and saying, can you repaint yourself? And the way that she, she, she was white, yeah. the way that she um, was watching me do it, I saw, I, I don't know, maybe I'm imagining this, but I, I, I remember feeling like this when I was younger. It was a sense of... Um, like, I don't know, like she was finding it funny that mm. I'd painted myself. I can't even remember what colour it was. It was clearly not the colour she wanted me to do for myself. Yeah. And that's when I first realised, because I grew up in the same way. I'm light-skinned as well. So I always, and my mum is super fair-skinned, and we always just were known to be the lighter ones, mm-hmm. especially in my family. My brother and my dad are more typical Asian skin colour, still on the, the fairer side. But yeah. it was always something that was seen as, oh, you're special because of that. And I... I didn't really think anything of it when I was younger because when it is just who you are you don't think anything special yeah but then when I started getting older and realizing that it was almost used as a way to um I don't know have something over someone yeah. I think it was when I went to India because we'd be there and I overheard my I think it was my grand or someone <laughs> say to my cousin start playing in the sun or something and I just yes. thought Oh, because then you're going to get dark, and then that not that then I won't get the compliments for being light skinned anymore. Yeah, and that that definitely stuck with me as I went up. Like subconsciously, it was there because I remember growing up, think and I'd get the same comments at school all the time. Oh, you're super fair skinned. Or if when I went to university, people didn't know where I was from originally. It was mm-hmm. always like, oh, what is your origin though? Because they were like, where are you from? And I was like, Wolverhampton. Well, <laughs> I was like, that is exotic as it gets. <laughs> they were like, no, no, but originally, like, what is your heritage? And I thought in the in the beginning it was exciting because I thought, oh, in London it's such a melting pot mm. that it's easy for people to be confused. Whereas in the Midlands, it typically is you are white, mm-hmm. black. Or Indian. Yeah. So it's easy to know if something was different to properly white, because yes. we don't look white, do we? We're fair skinned in yeah. terms of like our features are still not white. Mm-hmm. But it was obvious that there was something that made you different enough, even if you were light, to place you into the Indian bucket. Whereas when I came to London, it was, oh, it's a melting pot. There's loads of different features that people have and they're different shades. So we, we couldn't identify it. So I thought that was quite exciting and fun. Mm-hmm. But then when I started to realize that a lot of my friends that maybe were a different shade had like hang-ups about their shade. That's when I started to think, oh no, that means I, I shouldn't get tanned. So when we'd go on holidays, I was like, oh, I shouldn't get tanned because then I'm going to lose what makes me special. What's like, you know, this fair skin thing, you know, my, 
I mean, my mum would talk about, she would always say, go have a tan. She'd never encouraged us to stay any particular colour because she, it's, a tan is something that stays with you temporarily. It goes. Yeah. And even if it is something, and I thought to myself, I don't want to feel like I'm carrying this around as something that is um, an entitlement or a privilege because that is actually perpetuating and encouraging this sense of, um, like privilege that someone should have around their skin color. I thought, no, no, I don't want to embody that. I want to get tanned in the summer and I don't want to feel like I have to hold on to something that even if let's say I keep my tan forever, mm-hmm. that's fine. Yeah, I, It's not defining who I am as a person, mm-hmm. but that's not what we grow up with because on TV, when I'd see people like Beyonce get in the center stage and she was lighter skinned or I don't know, people in Indian TV, not that I watch any of that. <laughs> You've <laughs> banned that forever, haven't you? <laughs> you, know, I, you know, that's not really my... Mm. I, I never, ever felt like it. I needed to kind of prove my Asian roots. I always knew what I was, but yeah. I always thought I needed to retain some sort of lightness But for that. And, and that's when I thought, no, I can't do that anymore. I can't live that way because I'd rather have experiences of going on holiday like i just got back from greece i was in the sun i was loving it and yes i got way more tan than i normally would be but it's it's i'd rather have the memory and the tan Mm. rather than not have been having been away at all and i think that's the thing that is probably difficult for people that don't have to deal with colorism i know that maybe white people it's the opposite isn't it they typically want to be tanned a lot of my friends are like oh i need to get a tan and from their perspective they you know i get a lot of comments from friends saying but you know, it's obvious that you're, you're, you're Indian. It doesn't like make a difference. And I was like, yeah, but from our perspective, there is like a spectrum of colors, there's shades as well. Mm. So to you, it might be very obvious that, oh, Indian fits into one bucket, but th- th- it's nuanced. And the, you know, some of the, I suppose, the privilege that we've encountered mm. is not available to every Asian person for that reason. But I don't, I think we need to kind of break away from that. Yes. And we need to think about how, how can we use language in a positive way that shows that actually we shouldn't be celebrating anything, we sh- anything that is particularly light or dark. It mm. should be celebrating who you are in that moment. Absolutely. Amen to that. Honestly, that is such, you've hit on so many amazing points there. I mean, first of all, it's like that we both kind of came to this conclusion that we had a certain privilege and like it was kind of inbuilt to us because yeah. it was like, oh, you've got fair skin. So, you know, you're going to be OK. Like, you know, here's your it's like you're you know, you're, you can go to Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Yeah. Here's your golden ticket. And we realized that actually, no, that doesn't matter for diddly squat. And also it's so funny when you're talking about the sun as well, because, you know, I didn't sunbathe properly or like the first time I actually went out. Well, we never the got sun. the sun in England, <laughs> do we? Well, exactly. There was there was that. <laughs> But I think until the age of 25, because I was always like, oh, no, I mustn't go in the sun because yeah. then I'll get dark. And then I've also, of course, got an OnlyFans story, which I, <laughs> which I would, I think you know of. Which, oh, but I will t- so excited. But oh, yeah, it's on yeah, the OnlyFans. OnlyFans, on the OnlyFans. Yeah, but I will fill you in on that later. But yes. um, I still remember, like, it was, I, I remember when I uh, tanned as well. And also I went to um, Miami as well. And I remember I thought I didn't need sunblock because I'm Asian. I'm yeah. like, South, oh, I'm South Asian, I don't need sunblock. And then when I started peeling, I was like, oh, yeah. goodness me. Like, you know, I was like, I didn't realise that brown people... Yeah, I didn't know until I peeled for the first time on holiday. But yeah. the thing was, because we hadn't sat out in the sun, we never knew... Like, we hadn't been in the sun long no. enough to know. We didn't think... We never needed to go to tan, even in the UK when it was hot, though, did yeah. we? Yeah, exactly that. When it was hot like that, we were always, like, in the shade yeah. or... We were not, we wouldn't go out and, you know, to go and sit. Our faces might have been exposed, but not our bodies. Not our bodies, exactly. And it would be this idea, like, you know, people would be like, oh, I'm off to the park because it's sunny. And we'd be like, oh, sunny, ha, ha, ha. Um, But it would be like, 
what the hell? Like, you're going to go yeah. and sit in the park all day? And now look at us. Like, I mean, this is where this podcast well, was conceived. On a sunny day in the park. <laughs> but it's true. You know, I have, I've even had other friends, like white friends say to me, they're like, you're not going to burn. You're, you're not, you're Indian. You can't. And I was like, yeah. I can burn. And then I remember I was on holiday once with one friend and they actually came to me and they're like, you're really red. So you need to come out of the sun. And I thought, and they've I, I had friends say to me, oh, you know, I didn't realize that Indian people can um, burn or get um, mm. peel. And I was like, well, that's fine. I didn't understand that myself <laughs> until I went on a beach holiday for the first time and I realized I peeled. But that's the thing, isn't it? I think it's an assumption is made if you are not a certain color, like mm-hmm. if you're not a Caucasian skin color, that you can't tan or that you can't be light skinned. And that's that's the thing that is it's it's trying to battle that, though, because I almost don't want people to think, oh, yes, Indian people can be like success. Well done. You achieved something yeah. because it's not something to celebrate. It is just who we are in that moment and it's not something about a status but it's so easy to get caught up in that and i i don't know how we change it we have really positive images of people of different shades and i feel like they cast people of like when when they're indian at least on tv i tend to see not just one representation it's not just dark people it's different shades of asian and that's i think we need to see more images of that i i completely agree i mean i i would say now in 2021 that we are moving in the right direction However, but but we we are so like we are so far away from it. I think we've got a long, long way to go before we actually do see what we see in the world reflected in our media. And like, especially like in in kind of like everyone talks about kind of like Hindi cinema, which is like the kind of or Bollywood as people like to call it. And do they typically still have very fair skinned people cast? They do, but it's changed. Like you know, it's not always what you'd expect and also because like thing is as well like a, a lot of the time with bollywood because that was made for an indian or people forget that oh. hindi cinema is made for like hollywood is not made now it's made with global audiences okay. in mind because everyone because over the last five years obviously with the digital age and streamers and things like that we've seen this kind of huge explosion of content which is now for the, all of the so for example like the Fast and Furious films do mm. well everywhere like you know but if you sometimes you watch it and you think there's no dialogue in this it's just like <laughs> blur, explode. but the thing is because it's because it's universal so you can watch that film in Beijing you can watch that film mm. in Boston you can watch it in Botswana and you will understand what's going yeah. on because it's quite quite universal yeah. so in the same way that audiences have, have evolved and changed like the Hindi cinema audience has completely changed as well and now there are there have been films about colorism and there are like some really bad missteps sometimes there was a okay. film i'm thinking of recently where an actress darkened up okay and uh, the whole film is about like hair loss would right. you believe and the whole thing is like the main character is worried about his hair being lost and then like he falls in love with an actress right. and like he gets like a toupee he tries all these different things to try and like you know to conceal, to conceal it until at the end he just realizes that you know what I am as I am, yeah. And um, that's such an empowering message because you would never like you don't even see that in Western cinema. No. Like you know you, that was a really great. But then at the same time you've got this actress who's been darkened up, and like they constantly mention the tone of her skin, and she's kind of there as like the cons- consolation prize. And so on the one hand, you're giving this really empowering message that accept who you are, and on the other oh. hand, you've got an actress who and like she's a brilliant actress. Don't get me wrong, but. I was like, could you, you know, that you could have got a dark, there are plenty of dark skinned actresses who would have fulfilled that role better and would have been able to, and even the, just in general, just at the kind of principal level, it was just wrong. So, I mean, like, so it's evolved a lot, yes. I'd say. And I'd say that we... Uh, we're you know, having the debate, aren't we? We're having the debate. I mean, that we're doing a podcast on this right now, that people are like on Instagram. Instagram is actually a really, it's, mm. it's, Instagram's a strange one because 
on the one hand it can be quite like a negative place you know when you're scrolling through and you're seeing all these people and they're like kind of light your different skin tone and you, the comparison yeah, it's thing it's not just lighting is it? it's filters like people Fil- don't look the way that we all pick pictures and i think everyone assumes that the first picture that's posted is the one that was taken there's yeah. like a thousand we all take 10 pictures so many exactly um but you, you know you think of that but then at the same time instagram's also been a great resource for finding out about colorism because when i was doing research it was kind of there was a bit here there was a bit there you know but I couldn't really, like, I was trying to look for definitive sources. So, you know, for example, if you're, I don't know, reading up about some a particular topic and you think, right, well, what is the big book? For example, like if you went with racism, mm. you know, uh, Why I'm No Longer Talking About Race yeah, with, white with, with White People is an excellent book. Um, there's also another book I read called An Immigrant's Manifesto. This land is okay. our land. Which What I'm going to do is I'm going to put all these resources into our, on, on our Instagram yeah. so people can see it. But it's really funny. There was so much on Instagram, so many infographics and kind of videos and experiences that I learned from that it's actually a really good resource as well for finding out about, um, you know, learning more about colorism. So then uh, another question for you, Bush. Mm-hmm. Why do we think there's a fascination with fair skin in the South Asian community? So, yeah, I'm really glad you asked me that. (laughs) Um, Do you know, it's funny because like what we were talking about earlier, where we would kind of go into environments where there were not, you know, where we were often the only person of color in the room or that, you know, we would be in all kind of like white environments, for want of a better term. Um, that's because we were like passing because we've got Mm -hmm. light skin privilege. So that is described as passing. You know, we can uh, pass as something other than what we are. Mm. Um, and like we said, we, and that gives you access to something I don't know, um, I don't know, new circle of friends or networks to have a better life and be happy and successful. Well, unfortunately, yeah. I mean, I can give the best example of that. Like, what I remember once I was in a work meeting and um, there was like a we would uh, somebody else was talking and it was like a big celebration. It was like an anniversary celebration of a like a really old brand. You'd know it straight away if you saw it. And I remember like one of the managers said something really racist. Like he was like, "Oh, um, you know, we should do this and we should use a clip from." This this show and this particular clip and that particular clip in context is like not aged well Hmm. and um i was about to i I was kind of like oh my god i can't believe he's saying i knew this person to be like this anyway and i was ready to call him out on it but before i could this other uh, person piped up well listen you we can't do that because um you know it's racist and like you know it's not um something that we really want to include in our brand and i was like okay well at least she said it and then she's like there's no person of color in this room so we can't really talk about it and then I was kind of like, and then, but then they moved the subject on really fast. So I didn't get, you know, like in that moment, you're, you're just so too stunned. caught up guard. Yeah. And I was like, I wasn't ready for that. And then kind of the subject moved on. And then afterwards I went up to her and I was like, you said that there's no people of color in the room. She was like, oh, sorry, Do I forgot you were there. Count? Uh, yeah. But then she's, she was like, oh, sorry, I forgot you were there. And it's like, oh. bitch, I was in your eye line. How did you forget I was there? Mm-hmm. And like, you know, you can't make statements like that. But the thing is as well, because I'm sure if I had a darker skin tone, yeah, she, would have she perhaps wouldn't have said something like that. But the fact that because I have a light skin tone, it's passing, you know, because I'm basically passing and I've got the light skin privilege. The other thing as well is to, to look back into kind of like history. So if you think about colonial times and mm. you think about the British oh. who came to the subcontinent and brought their kind of, standard standards if you like mm. but these aren't like standards like to behold or like say oh these are great standards these mm. are quite regressive standards so to give you another example uh, on a kind of related thing yeah do you know that like um india's kind of like gay laws lgbt laws okay. uh, from victorian times which the british brought in if you go pr- if you go before colonial times and you go into the history of like the Mughals and all that kind of thing 
bisexuality, transgender, everything like that was mm. the norm. It was wow. completely accepted. It was the British who came like in. in Roman times, yeah. Yeah, Roman times. The British came in and said, actually, do you know what? We don't like this. So we're going to say, yeah. you know, we're going to make this illegal. or We're going to make this. Um, uh, and that's what created, uh, to this day, has created that kind of vibe. And it's the same with skin tone as well. That it, It's funny you say Roman times because in uh, ancient Greece, uh, that was another thing where the fairer skinned you were, it was considered that you were richer. Because um, if you were a, work, yeah, really, yeah. pretty much like if you were a farmer farming all yeah. day, your arm, you were going to get the tan and stuff. And like it was, there's also the, an element of misogyny in there as well because huh. it was women were uh, seen, you know, seen to be fair. Were, they expected to be fair skinned. Mm. You know, they should be at home and have fair arms and fair skin and all of that. And men were expected to have a tan because it showed that they were out working. there in the fields working. And but it was a du- it's a double standard, you know. So we've got these kind of like Eurocentric kind of beauty standards mm. kind of like ingrained into us we've had this we've always been told that look you know if you've got a wide nose sorry that's not pretty mm. if you've got like you know big lips that's not pretty yeah. if you've got a big bum that's not pretty and well, then we're starting course, to turn those things on their heads well, aren't you, we really we, we've seen appropriation i mean let, let's yeah, talk about let's talk about those horrible either. ladies the kardashians who i am not a fan oh, of i love it but i think you know the way that they've kind of appropriated black culture yeah, and then marketed true. it as their brand i mean that's or, you know, all the things that are kind of like that have, you know, the, like all the things I just mentioned, the mm. Kardashians have branded and like said, oh, well, you know, it's, if you're a Kardashian and you, you know, you have big lips and a big ass and, you know, a long weave and stuff, yeah. that's OK. But God forbid, you know, the black community, this is their culture, this is yeah. like their cultural practice. That's not allowed, you know, yeah. which I, is their identity anyway. Exactly. And then also, like you'd mentioned earlier, like the skin, uh, the caste system and then um, skin lightening as well, which is like a huge industry Mm. which continues. And this is not just in the South Asian community. This is in in any community, uh, in every community, really. Uh, People are trying to like change their skin tone, which is really, really sad because they, like I said, you don't need to. It's not who you are. Your skin tone doesn't tell us anything about you as a person, person. as your DNA. And, you know, everyone's skin is at the end of the day like you know all we want is like to have healthy skin and when i say healthy yes. skin i mean like you know flawless no pause flawless exactly <laughs> no pause you know that kind of thing so you, that's what we're kind of like really looking for no i agree so then how can we break free from colorism both as individuals mm-hmm. and as a society well i think um if we'll kind of I, I think we're still kind of like trapped in the uh kind of cycle of it all so for example there's a recent example of um candace braithwaite uh, who's this uh, amazing influencer and author mm. and i've read her book um which i'll include on our list and it's called i'm not your baby mother mm-hmm. and candace basically talks about how black women are treated by the nhs in this country in in the uk and how they get like a second rate service like their concerns are dismissed oh. um they're treated really badly like um she when she went for like a final appointment she finally got seen by a black nurse and the black nurse had asked her, "Have you has this 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 and this been done?" She and Candice was like, "No." They were like, "Oh, someone should have done this." And even like it almost cost her her life because when she gave birth, she had a preeclampsia. Preeclampsia. Yeah. yeah. So and she kept saying that, "Look, I don't feel well." And they were like, "No, no, go home. Just take two paracetamol and you'll be okay." And it's so only when she got home and like you know she needed you know the, basically the placenta had nearly turned oh. septic. And she was about to die. And they took her back to hospital. And like her husband had to really fight to get her admitted that she was okay. But then also like there was a, the example I was going to talk about was mm. um, she was going to front a program on the experience black women have in maternity in the UK. 
And, uh, you know, and I said, she's written this amazing book. She's done a lot of research. She's done a lot of talks on it. She's a knowledgeable person of it. Now, she's very dark-skinned. Yeah. And uh, apparently the next thing that happened was that program that she would have been attached to, suddenly Rochelle Humes, who is oh. um, mixed race, um, was suddenly going to be the presenter. And I'm Candice was like, kind of like, you know, no longer attached to the project. Now, this kind of thing happens all the time. But this particular example really kind of resonated because it was like, Candice has the expertise we need. She knows what, you know, to talk about. And here you are replacing her with someone else who, who may, I'm not saying that Rochelle doesn't know, but Candice was the, per, you know, the person who'd done the majority of the mm. legwork on this. And without Candice's contribution, I don't know that the programme would even be made, you know. No. So it was a real shame. So in terms of like how we're going to break three through and, you know, and also just to bring up another quick example, like our favorite show, ANTM, America's Next Top oh. Model. So do you remember in cycle two or three, I think it was, when Tyra asked a girl to uh, darken her skin. So she asked a black girl to, to pose as Grace Jones and the girl had reservations. And um, even now, that's one of the things that ANTM has been called out on. Yeah, they, that came back up again, didn't it, on some interviews with Tyra. And she was quite open about it. She was open. I mean, to her mistake. credit, it's good. I, I mean, I think that's... I mean, that is She's one... good at at least owning it. Yeah, well, I think that's one way we can break free from it. Like, yeah. the fact that we can say, look, we made these mistakes in the past. We said this. Yeah. Or we did this and we now realize I that said what I, I said, said. <laughs> exactly but we now realize um, it that it was not the right way to do it and that there are more progressive ways and better ways to do it you know so I think um, that's like a that's maybe one way owning up to it also educating ourselves mm. I think we must educate ourselves on like and not only I'm not just saying this to Caucasian people as South Asians because we've got yes. so much anti-blackness in our community. Oh, loads, loads. Well, it's, like, like, it's like the gay community is more homophobia in the gay community than there is anywhere yes. else. It's just, it is getting clear in the, word we, in the wording we use with one another as well around, you know, lighter tones and celebrating it and feeling like it is something that makes it makes us better than anybody else yeah absolutely because it's funny because like in dating terms as well there is like a fetish like you know where people will write on their profiles you know black only or not yeah. black and you're just kind of like this is not like a kind of you're not choosing a shade on the dulux color chart oh, do you know what i mean I this is a person you're dulux. talking about i mean farron ball, farron ball. <laughs> <laughs> sorry we slum it with dulux on this side of the podcast thank you very much <laughs> but um it's it's difficult you know and i and I, so i'd say like you know owning it educating ourselves as well no, and um, just calling out colorism as well and the thing is like you know for some of our listeners they this might be the first time they've ever heard of the term colorism or they've not they've heard of it but they're not really sure what it is um and then there would be others who have lived through who are living through it and mm. like experiencing it worse than not this is a trauma olympics or anything but yeah. what their experiences are have deeply affected them so i think wherever you are in this journey like you know there is work to be done and unfortunately, even if you are like a victim and you've kind of been impacted like that by colorism, mm. there is still a lot of work to do, which is so unfair because you'd think that, you know, I've had to suffer all the, you know, go through so much. And now I'm going to have to like, you know, I still to educate people and be yeah. a really good role Because it is model. tiring. It's so tiring and so draining, oh, isn't it? You know, when you think about it and you're like, oh, why do I have to keep on explaining this? Or why do I have to keep on doing this? Or why do I, you know, and you just think to yourself, Surely, come on, someone. Why does it? It'll not make get... an impact on the yeah. next generations. That's why I think we do this, don't we? We hope that things will be better. Yeah, absolutely. And like you know, and I think you know, if we call out colorism when we see it with our families, with our friends, yeah. or anybody else, 
um, that's one way that hopefully we can break free from it. I agree. Okay, Sunny. Well, I think it's time to take it to the bridge. It is. This is such a deep and nuanced conversation. We've barely scratched the surface today. It is clear, though, that there is still a lot of work to be done. We need to understand where our unconscious biases come from, unlearn prejudices that have existed for centuries, and collaborate to eradicate colorism altogether, not just from the South Asian community, but from wider society. Here, here, absolutely. Because that's the big thing, isn't it? It's not just a South Asian problem. It's not just a problem for no. that community. I think uh, what we've learned, especially in the past two years, is that everything is kind of connected. Yeah. And there's like wider ramifications. So, yeah, fingers crossed. But like I said, I'll be posting lots of resources and things to look at on our Instagram and Twitter. So please do oh, take a look. Well done, okay, well, I think it's time to move to the OnlyFans Lounge. Yeah, so let's, let's go. go. On, on to, yeah. Onto lighter things, <laughs> pun not intended, you know. Um, so obviously we were talking about um, Harry and Meghan and obviously I wanted to focus on that comment. But now we can talk about the rest of that. Oh, it, that, that that's amazing. I mean, what I can't believe is A, that that took place in, tw- like we're, we're recording in 2021 <laughs> and I still can't believe that that interview was in 2021. Oh, Feels God. like a lifetime ago. Yes. And also that it like dominated the front pages for like five days. Yeah. For like, you know, I think the Daily Mail is still running. Here, <laughs> like, <yeah>. We still <laughs> run it. <with> one <laughs> we still can't talk, stop talking about it. So what was your initial, what was your overall impression of that interview, Sonny? I, I mean, I know you, I mean, like, Megan is, you know, obviously she's been through a lot and she's been tortured through the experience but. she's had. But <laughs> I can see that butt oh, coming a mile off. That, that huge butt <laughs> is coming in. But when she, it was just some of the things she was saying that really made me laugh. Like when she compared herself to, was it from The Little Mermaid? Her life, I was like, <laughs> okay, that's what we're doing here. <laughs> and she just felt very, I can imagine, I, I understand why she's probably doing this, but she, it felt like she was so desperate for the attention and and that opportunity to really say like what she'd been through and how she had done so well to like amalgamate herself into the royal family by you know not being celebrated for doing the the best lunges ever outside of Buckingham Palace (laughs) when she was practicing a curtsy I was like you just want to be patted on the head and say and be told well done so that is what I took away from it a little bit but obviously what she's been through I, I don't think she's making any of it up. I don't think she's exaggerating. We know what Diana went through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's been documented for many years in many different mediums. So I, I feel like it's a, it's a massive shame that she's had to go through that. Mm-hmm. The, on, the, on, the, on the lighter note, what we were saying, um, it was hilarious to see all the memes. When she was telling that story about... Um, you know, there were concerns about how dark his skin would be. And then Oprah just goes, what? (laughs) Everyone's reaction to that. And that became a gift. Mm. And everyone was talking about it the next day. And now whenever something really, like, not shocking, and you, well, it is shocking, actually, but you want to have, like, an extended overreaction to it, you pause and you go, what? What? Well, actually, that's our secret signal to each other sometimes <laughs> if we need to, like, you know, cough or fart or whatever <laughs> while we're recording. We'll be like, what? what? <laughs> so <it's> like, stop. <laughs> and Do you want to let it out? Oh, and there's one other thing that we absolutely love mm. using. The rainbow clench the, t- what is it, the, the, the thumb, so the thumb and, and the finger, finger together, together. To cross your face. And, and in a rainbow. So were you silent 
was silenced. silenced. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when that that container ship got stuck in the Suez Canal, and then someone sent me a gift that said, "Were you a container ship or a contained ship?" <laughs> <laughs> oh my! God. Do you know it's really weird because, like, with the interview, the first thing I saw was the memes because obviously it, it broadcast in America first, oh. and then like, and ITV <laughs> milked it for all it was worth. They were like, "We ain't putting it on till nine o'clock." Oh. Like, there was a build-up all day. All the news channels—that's all they were talking about. On the internet, it was crazy. And we were just like, just show us the goddamn interview. We this want is, to see it. They should be on 9 a.m. in the morning, or they should have done it in, like, yeah. you, know, you know, Game of Thrones, but it used to be on in America. Sky. Did it immediately, yeah. Yeah, Sky used to, air, like, simulcast it. Oh. They would be like 2 a.m. in the morning, it doesn't matter. And people used to get up for it. They should have done that with me. Do you know, we were in. Lockdown. We were ready. We were in lockdown, so we, it's not like we had to go anywhere the next day. <laughs> we could have all stayed up and watched it in real time. And also, they edited it out so much of the interview as well, yeah. because, like, apparently there was, like, a longer, which I haven't got the strength I to want the <laughs> but like I, I i agree with you i mean in, in, in certain respects like you know megan has gone through a lot and like yeah. i kind of get where she's coming from because that interview as well was very much for the american audience oh yes like, as Br- we british are the worst because like, <laughs> we don't give whenever there's any any, any sort of sincerity or nope. any sort of genuineness or no. softness we'll just be like right we're taking the piss out of that <laughs> We can't resist. Like, it's so funny. Like, even sometimes when I'm in America, people will be like, have a nice day. I'll be like, do you really mean that? Or are you just saying that to me? <laughs> and then I'm just like, I'm such an awful person. But I'm just like, I can't help it. It's just so, oh, goodness me. But there was, yeah, there was, and also like the Game of Thrones setting. Like, as an interiors yes. person, what did you make of that? The colours were beautiful. The, the beautiful lawn, mm. the beautiful place. Where, actually, whose house was that again? Was it some random? So it's Oprah's house. Producer. Like, it was down the road from Oprah. It was Oprah's friend's house. Yeah, was he some music producer? No, that's where they were staying. They were staying with someone who's like... A... Yes, uh, Tyler Perry. So Tyler, Tyler Perry is... Um, he's uh, basically said, look, I'm going to pay for your security and I'm going to oh. help you. No, but again, because if you... I was thinking about this uh, uh, at the time. <laughs> no, I just thought to myself that, you know, they probably... They're, they're people who are so obsessed with the royal family. Yeah, like they're especially absolute, Americans. Especially Americans, but even in this country as well, there are people like who... There's a whole industry around them. Like people buy these like plates and coins yeah. <laughs> you, know, you see yeah. in the back of a magazine. China. And yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's like, you know, £150 limited edition Diana plate. Yeah. And you're like, what are you going to do with that? You're never going to eat off it. You're just going to put it on the shelf. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But those are the kind of people who take these things so personally. Oh, and like, you could see that they would make an attempt on Harry's life or Meghan's life. There is no, that serious side of it. And I feel, I do feel for them. And then, like, you know, so Tyler Perry, you know, and going to America, I understand the logistics of it. But do you know, it's funny as well. So like, since you've said... Um, like in conversations we've had about Megan being attention seeking and stuff like that. <laughs> I have watched it and I have, I did think to myself, there is that, ele- there's a kind of narcissistic element to it. But having said that, that's kind of like, you know, what she's been through and because it resonates with so many of us. Yeah, I'm glad like, she spoke. You know, you know, I'm glad she spoke out and she spoke yeah, out. But we're so. definitely not going to let her have it without taking the mic <laughs> We are we're British after all, so like, we have to, honestly. So it's crazy. Oh, but, dear. oh God. But you know, there was one other thing in that interview that Oprah mentioned that like we haven't discussed this whole uh, I know what it is. <laughs> the, the podcast, podcast is mine. <laughs> we hope that you've enjoyed listening to The Podcast Is Mine. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcast and share it with a friend. You can also follow us on all the socials on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube. We are The Podcast Is Mine. And then on Twitter, we are Podcast Is Mine. Or you can email us at thepodcastismine at gmail.com. Oh, and one more thing The Podcast Is Mine.